Beer Bonus Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, I'm a professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including the Beer Bible. I'm thinking, what was that guy's name, the Paul Harvey, right? Yeah, Paul it's Harvey. Paul Harvey. Uh, you were uh, you were starting to <laughs> you know, get a little Paul Harvey there. there, and I wonder what was going on. <laughs> well, it's been a while. I'm out of practice, man, yeah. because you just keep like going off to far distant shores. Uh, you know, so it's like I don't know months since we've done this, but we're back. We are back, yeah. and I come bearing yeah. bearing uh, goodies. So it wasn't it was not all for naught. Uh, sorry, I'm obviously <laughs> out of practice too. Uh, we're here in Studio North. Or Studio Central, I guess, aka Jeff's dining room. <laughs> Did you be back in your dining room, Jeff? Yep, yep. Here it is. Uh, we couldn't do Studio South because I think I told you about cat sitting my son's cats. That yeah. would be bad, particularly yeah. because you're, you're allergic to cats, but I, also because he's got the loudest cat in the history of cats. You have four cats in the house. Four cats now running around yeah. the house, but only one is this like June juvenile Bengal cat. Who just howls like all the time, just for just for giggles, just howls. <laughs> and the the house next door is being deconstructed by three burly men in a in a reciprocating saw. Oh, which which direction? Uh, the one to the west. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, they're putting a second story on, so they're 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 taking the roof off bit by little bit. Nice. Actually, I mean, it's pretty impressive. They were able to do it pretty quickly, but. So that studio is out of commission. Studio <laughs> North is out of commission because X-Ray FM is still dealing with the after effects of COVID or the current effects of COVID. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we we just, it's been the story that won't end. But uh, yeah, things are kick, ticking back up. Uh, one thing I didn't realize, uh, which would have caused me a little bit more anxiety, was on the way home, in order to get out the plane in Oslo, I'd have a test that proved that I was uh, COVID-free. For the U.S.? Uh, to, yeah, I think no, no. I think it was an, uh, a Norwegian thing because I didn't have to do that going on on the way there. And then I was a little bit panicked because, for one thing, I didn't know where to get the test. It turned out it cost me sixty bucks at the uh-huh. place at the airport, which was yeah. irritating. But then I started panicking. What if I actually have it? Then I'll be stuck in Oslo, and then how do I? What happens? And anxiety and just since we're talking about weather uh oslo is really far north and my flight was at six o'clock in the morning so i got there i was up and walking over from the the uh nearby hotel at 3 38 and it was daylight yeah <laughs> 3 38 in the morning totally <laughs> in my mind. i mean it wasn't broad daylight or anything but the eastern sky was was quite light well you visit a good time of year to think about what it would be in january <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> It's true. It would be three in the afternoon and dead dead of night. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about the weather, but we were talking about it off air. Uh, so I was going to say, welcome back to sunny, sunny Portland, sunny, warm Portland. Right. It's false. It's still cold and wet. We had a high of 52 yesterday. Apparently summer doesn't want to come, which is weird because then I'm reading that the rest of the United States is in this massive heat wave. Yeah. So I guess I'd rather, I'd rather this. <laughs> totally. How was Oslo weather-wise? So Oslo is interesting. Uh, it is in, on a major fjord, mm-hmm. uh, but it is... Name of the fjord? I don't know what the fjord is called there. Probably Oslo fjord. Yeah. <laughs> we at the same place. Uh, and and I, it turns out I don't know what a fjord is. Lars Marius Garschel, who we'll talk about later. Uh, it's a big inlet of the ocean. 
how yeah. Does, I mean, how you, how, it, how, it, how, 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 at what point it goes from a bay to a fjord, but exactly. And how it, do you, if it's far enough in, then you become a fjord. Or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know. He, 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 he wrote like three paragraphs and I read it three or four times and thought, I still don't know what a fjord is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our, our, our Norwegian listeners can, can uh, send in to the mailbox. That's right. Their definition of fjord. Uh, anyway, Oslo is on this fjord, and it gets uh, it, it, it's very much like uh, some other northern places like Portland, but like like the UK and other places where it's quite temperate. So mm-hmm. the temperature there was in the 60s. Yeah. It was really nice. Just um, wait till that North Atlantic current shuts down. Then it's not going to be so temperate. That's right. But if you go if you go to Western Norway, where we'll talk about in our uh, in, in the pod we're going to record next week. Um, then it's cold. It's cold and snowy, and it's it's like the Northlands. You're, that's a good tease. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. learn all about that next. That's week. right. <laughs> yeah, and I expect to hear about reindeer and probably Santa Claus. So. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I can I can at least promise sheephead. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little preview of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, welcome back. Not much has happened here while you were gone. I mean, I wasn't gone very long. Eight days, seven or eight days, depending on how you count, because you lose a huge amount of time. You gain a huge amount of time. It's sort of a weird thing. But yeah, anyway. just enough time to get used to the time difference before you got to turn around and come back. It's just been hammering me. The jet lag has been tremendous. <laughs> You're not supposed to get jet lag on the way back, though. You should be all good now. I know. No more, no more whining. And I almost never do. It's almost, it, it's usually much easier, but this time it was much harder. And I think it's because my body's super confused and I'm old and not resilient. And you know how that goes. But anyway, nobody cares about my old. Oh, right. About old and non-resilient? I know all about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you about what we're going to do today. Uh, if you've been following us on social media, no. If you've been following Jeff on social media, I'll do a little editing there. Well, you've probably seen some photos of Jeff posted on from his recent visit. No, wait, wait, did you post to the to the Instagram? Yes. Oh, okay. Then yes. If you've been following us. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I still haven't figured out how to use that thing. I figured you'd appreciate that. Uh, well, when Elon Musk takes takes over Twitter, that'll then, be when I switch to Instagram. All right. But Instagram is owned by what? Facebook or something? Yeah. yeah. It's a meta company. It's a meta company. Well, all I know is that's what my sons use exclusively. They don't use the Twitter. So. We're, you know, I, I've been I've been getting the, the TikTok ready. I'm ready to. I'm ready to launch TikTok. Good. Good. I'd like to, to have you put Beervana videos on TikTok. <laughs> Do that. That'd be great. <laughs> that, our, 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 our listenership will go will skyrocket after that. That's right. Anyway, Jeff was invited to participate at the Oslo Craft Beer Festival. We'll hear about that and what he learned of Nor- the Norwegian beer scene. Craft beer is only about 20 years old, but the brewing tradition goes back centuries and perhaps millennia. While he was in Norway, Jeff visited three breweries that melded the old and new traditions. So we'll hear all about that soon. But first, the news. Uh, in the first news item, just two shows back, we talked about the recent revival of monastic brewing in Europe and North America. We have some sad news to report. Spencer Brewing was launched by the monks of St. Joseph's Abbey in Massachusetts. Launched just in 2014, the Trappist Brewery posted this note on its Facebook page on May 14th. After more than a year of consultation and reflection, the monks of St. Joseph's Abbey have come to the sad conclusion that brewing is not a viable industry for us and that it is time to close the brewery. 
That is, that is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, most breweries are, are hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody on social media pointed out that there's a, they should presumably have a pretty big advantage in that their workers are, are, uh, you know, they don't have labor costs. So, uh, they got that going for them. And, um, you know, they, somebody else pointed out, well, maybe this just goes to show that Belgian ales don't do well, but Spencer made a whole range. They look more like an American craft brewery in terms of, mm. well, maybe that's the problem. They're trying to compete in other spaces that they were less competitive, yeah, but I'll be. do a little, I'll throw down a little economics on you and say that that's what you're here for, man. And say that, uh, though their labor might be free in terms of cash payments, uh, the time they spend brewing is time they can't spend things, something else. And so it might be that they've decided that there is another occupation that will be more profitable for the Abby. Right. Uh, yeah, you you often refer to opportunity costs. That is opportunity costs. Yes. <laughs> a for the day. Thank you. <laughs> I've been paying attention all these years. <laughs> Sinks in. Thank you. Uh, okay. And the second item, uh, we have a letter note. Um, and you actually have referred to this in a past pod, so I kind of threw this in there for your amusement. Um, one brewery has decided to jump into the NFT business. That is the non-fungible token business, a blockchain uh, technology. Mm-hmm. Anheuser-Busch owned Goose Island recently announced that it will further monetize its Bourbon County brand by offering more than 2,000, quote, barrel house collection NFTs at $500 a pop, though they later reduced that to $400 when the crypto market crashed. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Apparently the NFTs will become like digital passes that owners can redeem for merch, beer, and other perks. ABI has already successfully launched NFTs for other brands, including Stella Artois, Budweiser, and Bud Light Next. NFTs, you had had talked about how we need to get on this and I'm feeling like, yeah, how do do we, where's, where's our land grab? What do we do? How do we do this? Yeah, uh, we need to do that. So let's find out somebody who tells us how to do it. Uh, I'll take a picture of you. Your coin? I'll turn it. <laughs> your coin. That's good. I like that. Thank you. You could be onto something. Yeah, I know, right? Who doesn't like one? A, a new currency. Just for uh, Yeah, I'll take a picture of you and we'll turn it into a non fun token and people can buy it for no reason and that's it. They don't get nothing. That's right. As opposed- they, get to, they get to listen to the, to the podcast knowing that they have an NFT from us. That's right. And you can't get pictures of me on the internet. So no, no, no. Not this, one. <laughs> this one is yours exclusively. That's right. And you can turn around and sell it. That's right. In the, in the thriving market for NFTs of Jeff's head. And given how gorgeous I am, the value will only rise. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> how quickly you're decaying. Yeah. So you want that, you want that, That's right. Capture it before. That memory of. <laughs> uh, by the way, this is something that uh, I feel this is a. Uh, a moment where I feel we've probably talked about this uh, even on the podcast. But um, speaking of Anheuser-Busch and Goose Island, well, actually two things. About but the first thing is I, I, I still follow, I try to keep my Portuguese up by following Sao Paulo newspapers. And a Sao Paulo newspaper was doing a big article on the Goose Island brew pub in Sao Paulo. Oh, they have one in Sao Paulo. Ah, okay. Well, maybe we didn't talk about this. Then. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and it got me thinking. A Goose Island Brew Pub in Sao Paulo. Hmm. And so I went and looked, and indeed, there's a, a Goose Island Brew Pub. And there's actually a Hoe Garden Brew Pub across the street. Oh. Also AB InBev. Sure. But all like Belgian inspired. Right. So they're really going deep. And then I go onto the Goose Island website because I'm 
curious. And it turns out they have these things now all over the world. Shanghai is the one I remember, but there was like six different world world, world capitals that they have Goose Island group ups. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Which I was thinking that's a very interesting way in which they're turning their, uh, what is the term, the internal term of art for their those brands? The... Uh, they used line or they used to be called the high end. They changed the name, oh, and I don't know what it's called. Because yeah. anyway, uh, corporations can that... never have the same jargon for too long. It gets yeah. stale. You got to switch. <laughs> well, somebody's going to be running for the marketing department. Wait a minute, I have a better idea. Yeah, we'll call it the really high line. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting way to try to monetize these brands and and turn them into global global brands. Um, I have no idea how successful and how much. It's penetrated the, con the consciousness of Brazilians. I'll ask my friend next time I talk to him whether he's aware of the Goose Island Brew Pub in Sao Paulo. It's actually very close to where he and I, where he lives and where I used to live. Uh, and then the other thing that this reminds me of is the Alosalo News article that's saying that uh, it was focused on the big breweries, including Anheuser-Busch. They're, be they're being very successful at uh, uh, not translating, sending... Um, basically raising prices <laughs> <laughs> passing through think there you go passing yeah. through their their uh, the increase in cost of brewing beer to the consumers consumers don't seem to be balking at these price increases so they've successfully covered their own cost increases yeah speaking of inflation yeah that's right and I, I have read that um, uh, I've read two stories that contradict each other one is that um, beer is uh, uh, beer prices are going up more slowly than inflation in general mm. and I've also read that uh, breweries are taking the opportunity because of inflation to raise the prices rapidly, uh, even though they and raise them higher than the cost of inflation is impacting them at the at the production side. Right, cost of their own inflation. Right, which maybe that's lower than than because uh, you know energy prices I think are a big part of it. But I understand from the Ukraine thing that we're about to get a whole global grain yes price kaboomy. Yep. So that might very soon impact barley prices, yeah, wheat prices, corn prices, rice prices, other things that. Yeah, and the, the way these things work, it's like a balloon. It doesn't even if they're growing uh, the barley for the food market and not the beer market. Um, it's the global food market, and so you take that off the table, and mm -hmm. then it squishes it, and it works its way into the beer market. Yeah, and a pod pod or two or three ago, I mentioned that uh, the barley there was a cool um i can't remember which company but there was a cool blog post about how world grain markets are all interconnected so right. barley the malting barley is affected by non-malting barley is affected by wheat it's affected by corn it's affected by all these feed crops yeah i read just today that uh russia and ukraine collectively uh produce 12 percent of the world's calories and so this right. is really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, here's another lesson in opportunity cost. Even if it's true that AB and Bev, and I don't know if this is true, but they may have their own barley fields, uh, and um, they probably do at least have futures contracts in barley. It yeah. still is. Yeah, so you can say, oh, well, they don't have to raise their own prices, but it's still opportunity cost, right? So the 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 um, uh, the foregone income they're earning that they would give up by selling that barley to somebody else is how you cost it out from an economist's point of view. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, I have, um, I'm going to riff on what you were just riffing off. <laughs> yeah, let's on. riff, baby. I got, I got, uh, my first riff is kind of, I'm just shoehorning it in because you mentioned Sao Paulo. Uh, there's a very good chance that the beer Bible will be translated into Portuguese, Portuguese and sold in Brazil. Yeah, well, uh, I'm very excited about that. a publisher reached out, so that could happen. That's so. awesome. Yeah. I, I saw your book 
in a bookstore in Sao Paulo, which you know because I sent you a picture saying, oh my God, it's your book in a bookstore in Sao Paulo. But it was the English edition. Exactly. So it has not been translated very much. I, be I believe it's been translated in Korean, although I haven't actually seen a copy of that. It has been translated into one of the Chinese dialects. I don't, is it Mandarin or Cantonese? I don't know. I don't know enough about Chinese to know how that all works. Uh, so this would be uh, a new one, which would be very exciting. That's so, awesome. It's yeah. a big country. They love beer. But yeah, and apparently it's really starting to rock now. Um, I don't. You haven't been there in a while, but apparently, like this is the moment when things are really exploding. You had you had reported from past visits that um, they everyone was kind of excited about beer, but you didn't see a lot on the ground. I think yeah. maybe that's changing. So. Yeah. Well, I'm that the Ho Garden in Goose Island uh, brew, brew pub example, and they brew in those brew pubs. They're actually breweries. Uh -huh. They're not just branded restaurants. Um, you know, suggests that craft beer is having a penetration that uh, AB InBev is getting on that. Yeah, so, well, I think, uh, and this is, I'm going to use this to switch to our topic today because it's a perfect it. segue. Yes, um, the most, the most kind of strongest brand in, in beer in the world is American beer and particularly American craft beer. So right. we're going to talk today generally about Norway and the craft scene there is predicated like 99% on American craft beer. And I think that's true in so many places in the world. So it yeah. becomes this, this thing that you export and you exports, you know, the whole, like you just exactly what you would find in, in Chicago. Uh, you can just plant it anywhere and people kind of get what's going on with that because that, that whole thing has been exported. Yeah. Well, the one brew pub that I knew of in Sao Paulo back when I was there, which was 2013, uh, was 100% American inspired. Um, there was other craft brewers that are more German inspired that predated it, but this was basically a guy who had been to the U.S., lived in the U.S., loved, you know, learned to love the craft beer of the U.S. and brought it back to Sao Paulo. So it makes a lot of sense. Totally. Let's talk about how it's impacted Norway. Let's 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 hop on a jet. Yeah. Go over the Arctic Circle. Yes. Find ourselves in Norway and tell us about your uh, your journey and what you found out about beer in Norway. That's the way I went. I went north. So yeah, I don't know if I went. Arctic, but I went, I went north anyway. Uh, yeah, certainly you went over the Arctic Circle. Okay. I'm telling you, you did. All right. I believe it. Don't contradict me. <laughs> so Norway, Norway, it turns out, is an ancient brewing country. And you can talk about sort of three strata of beer there. There's the old farmhouse tradition. And, and then we're going to we're gonna get into that one in the next pod, mm -hmm. uh, really delve down into what that looks like. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. The quite tradition comes uh comes out of that mm -hmm. then loggers came of course mm -hmm. just like they did everywhere in in, in europe and uh they had there's some old lager breweries uh that were really well known one and um i'd be curious to know how you pronounce this it's r-i-n-g-n-e-s ringness maybe uh, yeah there, there are a lot of n-e-s words in in norwegian but i never know if it's just that ringness yeah I don't know. Let's call it ringness. Ringness must be corrected by somebody who knows better. That's but right. is ringness like the big, a big sort of macro brewer? It, it, yeah, it was. It was. It's now owned by Carlsberg yeah. uh, and Hansa. I think is the more. I think it was the more prominent one that I saw. Ringness and Hansa. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, th and there were others too. I went past this cool brewery uh, in in Oslo. Or the building it was sort of like uh, Henry Weinhardt's downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, although they were, they did a better job of preserving it and, and it says brewery on the outside and, yeah. and I thought, 
this is actually a brewery. Why don't I know about this? This looks like an old brewery, but it wasn't a brewery. It was just the ghost of a brewery. Right. Um, so, so there was that that whole that whole era. Uh, and then so, only and yeah. those brands still exist. Carlsberg and SAB, SAB Miller, uh, respectively, own them. Yeah. And did you try them? I did not. No. Yeah, I did not. Um, yeah. So just to back up a little bit, I was invited by the Oslo Craft Beer Festival to uh, Oslo. And then I added, I did this add-on uh, to go visit Voss, the farmhouse place. So the first, uh, when I was in Oslo, I was mainly drinking beer at the Oslo Craft Beer Fest. So I was not right. drinking a bunch of Hansa. Uh, and I was drinking a fair amount of that beer because there was a craft beer festival. And so uh, afterwards, I'm an old man. I did not go out drinking beer, although other younger people did, uh, but I, but I was, and also I was jet lagged because I came all the way from Oregon. What, by the way, what was your role? Why, why were you giving a talk or? Yeah, I introduced things and uh, then I. You're like the MC? I was like the MC and then also I just hung around and chatted with people, which was nice too. Um, and, and it kind of gets back to where we are in Norway in terms of craft beer. It's still quite young. It's only about 20 years old, but, mm. but in, but. But in terms of cultural penetration, I think you would consider that even, you know, younger than that. Yeah. And so this festival had the flavor of a festival that you have uh, kind of early in, in, in a, you know, in a, a market's sort of right. growth as, as it's so people can come and see what time the beers are like. people to the products you're offering. Yeah, that's right. So it was it was cool. They had uh, breweries from, you know, I think three breweries from the United States, but but mostly they were European brewers, but they uh, they had Swedish breweries and mm -hmm. UK breweries. The uh, the market is controlled by large companies um, who are kind of like distributors. Um, and one of them is called Cask, mm -hmm. and this was put on by Cask. So these were breweries that Cask represented in the marketplace. Um, but it was cool because they had, oh, and there were Belgians there. Uh, wow. West Mall was there, and also, oh, nice. yeah, Tilken, the uh, Lambic maker, Lambic blendery, was there, including founder Pierre Tilken, who was pouring beer, which was really cool. I'm like, I'm walking around just to see what, who, who, you know, who's, who's at the fest the first day and i look up and like oh my god i think that's beer that's awesome so i tried nice. to i tried to brush back my fanboy side as i act all cool yeah you know hey man um of course he has no idea who i am because no one has any idea who i am so uh yeah that that took a, a little while for me to penetrate his consciousness yeah um but uh but it was nice to hang out with the 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 Danes, uh, the Danes, sorry, the Norwegians, and just uh, drink beer. There were probably a few Danes there, actually, um, and talk about what they liked. And I know I was always curious, asking them what they drank and all that. So that was a lot of fun. And as we talk today, I can fold in some of the stuff I picked up because it was really interesting to see what they were pouring, um, which was super American. Yeah, it was. Uh, hazy IPAs, <laughs> mostly hazy IPAs, but there were also smoothie sours, <laughs> and there were, uh, I wouldn't say pastry stouts, but like uh, so, barrel-aged stouts. So not just American, but very contemporary American. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They're really hot stuff. There were maybe two or three loggers the whole time I was there. One of them was, a, somebody pointed out, and it was one of those funny things, because I, as I was announcing one of the sessions, I would go around and 
let's see what was boring. And I mentioned in one of the sessions that there was one logger and someone that people came up to me later and corrected me. You no, know, there's two loggers. The other one was cold IPA. <laughs> I'm not sure if I recognize that as a logger or not. Uh, certainly there must have been some Kvike loggers, no? No, not at this fest. And that was the uh, interesting thing. And and one of the things that I learned as I talked to the crowd. you got to get more American and have some Kvike loggers. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. The thing is, they're, they're on Oslo people. People who live in Oslo are completely unaware of the tradition that's involved. Tradition. Yeah. So I would ask them, do you guys know about this farmhouse tradition? Most of them had had no idea. Uh, so, which, you know, I, I think Americans don't really have much of a no. sense of that tradition either, but they've heard about quite yeast, right? Because oh, you can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and brewers have because they buy that yeast. Right. So, but yeah, the tradition uh, is completely uh, invisible to people in Oslo. It blew my mind. Um, I, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a very obscure tradition. It is also true that Norway is uh, really large and very difficult to travel around so right. the places are pretty isolated right. to yeah. get to Voss, it's a six-hour train yeah. um and that's not considered very far like it, if you look at a map norway loops north uh, all the way to russia it goes all, over sweden over finland all the way to russia right. so it's it's giant um, in fact if you take a train from oslo to one of those places over there it takes it takes um, more than 24 hours so it's very far yeah uh but anyway that was that was fascinating to me um and they were not that much into loggers so some of the things that americans have gotten into sort of you know there's the core the beers that i just mentioned are you know core to the the sort of novelty side the untapped side of the american market but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you'll find here and it and it seems less common uh to find that other stuff and, and loggers are are especially uncommon so that's interesting and by the way way back when the vikings must have had some kind of fermented beverage some barley wine or mead or something that yeah was it was this it was this quike stuff i mean it's the same yeah it's that tradition which wow. goes back uh i you have a book here, which I brought back. <laughs> yes, and, and it's helpfully in Norwegian. Yeah, so, so that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's going to tell me about how far back it goes, and um, once you learn the Norwegian. First, yeah, that's right. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to get out my. Uh, get into the Google Translate. My Google Translate, exactly. But um, it's an it's a really old tradition, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it goes back. Um, you know, I, I I can't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't speak authoritatively. I don't know exactly how far back it goes, but yeah, this is this is an old tradition. Of, Way uh, far. Way far. Yeah. Yeah. Be authoritative. Really far. Goes back, man. Yeah. <laughs> it goes way back. Uh, so that's um, that's sort of an overview of what's going on. And everybody talks about how expensive Norway is, and I didn't find it to be that expensive in general, uh, but the beer is pretty darn expensive. And uh, there turns out there's a reason for that, um, which is sort of interesting. Everybody's beer laws are interesting. So... Any beer that is that you want to sell at a grocery store has to be 4.7 or lower. Uh -huh. So if you go to any brewery in Norway, uh, you're going to see beers that are 4.7. So wait a minute, that's for sale in the grocery store. Yeah. Okay, but otherwise you can sell it. You can make stronger beer. If if you, you can make stronger beer, but then if you make strong, if you want to sell it in the grocery store, it's got to be 4.7 or right. lower, right. and everybody therefore makes it a 4.7. Right. So when you look at, uh, you can beer in Colorado. If you yeah exactly. So if you if you pull up somebody's website and you look at their beers and you see the ones that are 4.7, you know that those are the ones that are available in the grocery store. Right. If you want to sell a beer that is higher alcohol, uh, it must go to the Vin Monopole, 
monopolet. I don't know how you pronounce these. Uh, the wine monopoly. The wine monopoly is basically what it is, mm-hmm. and these are are state-run liquor stores, but in an extremely Scandinavian uh, model, the way you get into these is really curious. Uh, you don't just, you know, they don't just stock everybody's beer, um, and they don't. They, you know, they don't, it's not a willy-nilly thing. It's a very methodical process. Mm-hmm. The, the wine monopoly decides which styles it wants to have on its shelves. Uh-huh. Uh, they have an annual uh, arrangement. Uh, so they have beers that are going to be up there year-round. And then six times a year, they have, like, seasonal stuff. Right. So at the start of the year, you can you can submit your beer to be on there all year round, and then there's also you can you can do it throughout the year. Right. And these are there's moments called tenders, and they put out a tender, and that'll be like okay, we're gonna we're gonna do uh, pale ale. So here's send what send us your pale. Send, send us your pale, and they um, they have a description of what it should be like, and right. you know all the and it has to meet all the specs. And then the there's a a, a tasting panel, the wine monopoly. Really, and they do these blind. And they really, yeah. And they taste them, and then they they rank them. So if they've got, if they get four hundred of them, they rank them one to four hundred. Wow. The number one beer is going to be put in all of their stores nationwide. Uh-huh. It's going to get high prominence, and then I don't know how you know. And then it goes down, and at some point, none of them, the other ones, don't make it in there. Wow, that's so crazy. It's crazy, and it's it's kind of cool because uh, I was talking to the very first day I went, I was in in town. I went to a brewery called Eichentid. Kid, I'm not sure I pronounce it. Of course, it means uh, oak and age, or age and oak, or uh, yeah, oak and time. Mm-hmm. And um, he was telling me about this, and he had just gotten uh, one of their beers was ranked number one. Wow! <laughs> he, was, he was very excited. It was the first thing he told me about. And I, you know, I've been in the country less than 24 hours, so I have no idea what he's talking you about. Understand? Yeah. Yeah, and then, so we, we had to we had to loop back around after I'd learned more about his brewery and, and the market to figure out what he was talking about. You know. Heineken can put a beer up for tender, but they have to be judged the same way. You know, oh, really? it's, it's so big, big breweries. Don't... You can't buy your way into it, and yeah. so it's it, that's you stick with the four point seven stop bar. Yeah, I think that's what they focus on, right? Yeah. Um, but it gives little breweries this amazing opportunity. If you make great beer, yeah. then you're treated equally with everybody else. It seems so Scandinavian to me. It's like wow, hyper egalitarian, but also really bureaucratic, like this really heavy structure. You know, right. <laughs> uh, um, fascinating kind of approach to to all of that and then of course on top of that there's there's pretty massive taxes and the tax is like 20 kroner a liter or something like or 200 is it 200 kroners? some crazy amount of kroners per liter mm-hmm. uh, and a kroner is about 10 to the dollar right. so the math is actually pretty easy it's like nine and a half but i just you know, in my head, I do 10 and yeah. <laughs> it works out pretty well. And then um, it's something like five kroner per percent of alcohol per liter. So 50 cents, yeah. you know, for every every percent. So wow. a, a dollar if, a dollar different between a 5% pale ale and a 7% uh, IPA. Yeah, that's really significant. So, uh, you know, things go expensive pretty fast. So that's, that's one of the reasons when you go to uh, Norway that you end up spending a lot of money on the beer by the way i know this is a beer a beer uh, podcast but do they have uh other spirits traditions there like they have a, a national spirit that yeah aquavit aquavit 
Oh, of course. Yeah. And what is Aquavit? I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's some kind of clear thing. They, <laughs> they. Um, well, you said it with such authority. Well, because they talked about it, it did come up. I did hear about it. Yeah, that's why I was. I was going to say it's time. It's time for a beer. You have failed us, by the way, and haven't brought back any Norwegian. Beer. However, I may deliver profoundly. So before you criticize, all me, right, all right, all right. they may they may ship me the beer that I helped brew. Uh, a week ago. Okay, okay. So if that happens, we'll taste it on the pot, and then you'll you'll have to eat crow. So instead, we're just gonna taste a couple of beers we've never tasted on the on the podcast. Yeah, actually, yeah. we're only gonna taste one, and then we'll. T- I got two beers, and we'll do the other one for the other pod. Oh, next week. Yeah. All right, we'll save the other one for next week. <laughs> <laughs> next week. Next week. I was gonna do one. Well, okay, so luckily it's a sixteen ounce can. That's right. <laughs> so this is Great Notions Juice Junior. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I I wanted to taste some beers that we don't normally taste on the pod, and especially ones that deserve some attention. And you know, everybody in the world knows that uh, Great Notions in Portland. It's often the beer that the brewery outside of Portland people talk about the most. And we just haven't really drunk that much of it. So, um, yeah, this is a, this is one of the beers that made their name. That's right. I actually have had this. I had said beforehand that I hadn't, but. This before, yeah. You told me not to admit if I hadn't, but actually, you can. Um, you don't have to I don't admit, have to admit that. that excellent. Yeah, I, I'm curious uh, to revisit these beers because I'm about to do my best breweries in Portland, and um, you know these guys were on my list last year. Probably be on this list this year. So the name kind of gives it away. Juice Junior, mm-hmm. a very juicy, hazy IPA. Uh, you opened it. Um, uh, a good three feet away from me, and I can <laughs> you smell, smell it. I yeah. can smell it. <laughs> the aroma is very strong. It's very citrus, mm-hmm. very orangey. Uh, it's wonderful. I mean, it's they're getting, they're popping that that aroma amazingly. They are. I'll give them credit. It smells like hops. It doesn't smell like an orange Julius or something. It's right. citrusy, but it actually yeah. smells like it have that sweet, sickly, yeah, you know, Boston smell. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies <laughs> to Red Sox Nation. Mm. And it actually. Uh, on the hazometer, it's not a ten. Yeah, it's not a milkshake. No, it's um, you know, seven. Yeah, I was gonna say seven, seven and a half. Yeah, that's got some bitterness too. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a nice balance. It's a good northwest haze. I haven't had the, I haven't had this beer uh, in a year yeah, or two. Years for me, probably. Because I four, four years. Yeah, when I go to the brewery, I tend to have some of their one-offs and other stuff that I haven't had before. So I haven't had this for a little while, and I'm. I'm pleasantly surprised at how beery it is. It tastes like an IPA. Probably because when you first encountered it, it was early on, mm-hmm. and it was such a shock to your system. And now you've had all these sweet, sweet, sickly version, orange Julius versions. And but no, I actually think this is a nicely balanced Northwest hazy, super juicy, but but uh, with a bitter back and yeah, nice beer. Mm. I think it's excellent. Yeah, this is the kind of beer that. Um, they're getting all excited about it in Norway, and uh, it actually works really well here, too. So, see, you should have brought this to them, and then they would have given you beer to bring back to me. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I meant to bring them beer, uh, and there was some fumbling and some fumbling. And By the way, how was the um, – yeah, fumbling and fumbling is your, your trademark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, how was the, um, uh, the turnout at the festival, by the way? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, the Friday night was 
packed to the gills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday afternoon was not not super great, and then Saturday night, which I expected to be packed again, was about halfway in between the two. So mm-hmm. busy, but not not insane. But in Norway, Saturday night's the night they dance. Well, they could have danced there. The, Norwegian, the traditional Norwegian folk dance. Oh, I see. Speaking of Norwegians, you know, people kept coming up to me and asking me in Norwegian directions. So I apparently look Norwegian. You do look Norwegian. Yeah. yeah. I would peg you for a, for a Norse man. I totally. So you that's, that's kind of cool. You look uh, weather beaten. Uh, I'm kind of tall. T- tall. Yeah. You're a little bit tall. So. Scraggly. Yeah. Guy looks like he's just come off the fjord. <laughs> I'm not by sure. Way, by I way, think speaking, you may have just – you didn't offend me. You may have offended Norway. <laughs> by the way, speaking of uh, – well, non sequiturs, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the Swedes and the Danes are famously crotchety towards each other. You know, neighbors make – because they're sort of neighbors. I mean, the next week. So what's – is are like the Finns and the Nor- Norse and the Norwegians – the Norwegians are all the jokes about Finns in the, Norway. The Norwegians <laughs> seem to chafe at the at the Danes. Uh, everybody doesn't like the Danes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I mean, uh, there was uh, so one thing that I learned, especially I learned this when I was in Voss, and uh, I, you know, people have much longer memories than Voss. So something that happened in in the mid 15th century is like Mm. might as well have just happened and for a long time for like like 400 years uh they suffered under the the yoke of a danish king and i think it still chafes even though it's been 200 years since since they've been there but anyway i i can't i can't speak super authoritatively but the um the ribbing seemed to be headed headed towards the uh the danes not the swedish i feel like i know oslo very well because i read all this norsk yo nesbo is from there yo nesbo exactly who's an economist was he i was walking around with uh our friend abram golden armstrong who is now a brewer in norway at sandefjord south of oslo (laughs) wait a minute after after cider riot he, uh, he moved to uh, this brewery called Fjordfolk in Sandefjord, which is south of Oslo. Um, they, ha- they hired him to be their cider maker. Cider is also a big deal in Norway. Uh-huh. There's a place called uh, Hardanger, which I'm probably mispronouncing, near Bergen on the west coast mm-hmm. where they have uh, apple trees. And they've, they've developed a, a cider tradition there. So they invited him to be the cider maker. And then they lost their brewer and he he became their head brewer now too so he, he does he does all that but he has a girlfriend who lives in oslo so he's in oslo a lot of the time right. and um after the fest on the sunday after the fest he came up and we hung out and it was very nice uh and what was i telling you about abram for <laughs> yo, Nesbo. oh yeah yo, Nesbo. we're walking around he's like oh, here here is some major like there's a prison in the middle of the city and he's like this oh, is- yeah 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 i recall that that's been a while since i've read him but yeah, yeah. he's like this is where a lot of the yo Nesbo is huh? the amazing thing is sorry abram if you're listening <laughs> I'm, I'm about to out you on this he'd never heard of wallander like, oh, i was oh, about to say Nesbo's, Nesbo's good but sort of young he's no kind of, yeah he's kind of a hack but yeah if you really want want uh, Nordic crime fiction, you got to do the Wallander. Yeah, hitting that kill. Anyway, yes, um, you well, that's probably, our that's our other podcast. So you you know Oslo reminded me a huge amount of Seattle. So it, it uh, Norway in general looks like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, they have trees that have turned out to be spruce, mm-hmm. um, but they look like fir trees. Clearly not pine. Mm-hmm. 
And you, so you look up at the hillsides around Oslo and they are covered with these, these spruce trees and there's a lot of water, just like in Seattle. You go to Frogner Park? Uh, I, I, I went by Frogner Park. Is it, Fro, I, is it I don't know. I did Frogner. I, Frogner I, Park. I, I, I smell like Frogner, but I figured <laughs> if I'm going to make a mistake one way or the other, I'm going to do it Frogner. So. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's an incredibly compact city. You can walk around. Um, they have the, the the Monk Museum and their new Opera House. But mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't find that part of town to be nearly as interesting as some of the other parts of town. Yeah. They have no Skid Row, as far as I can tell. Uh, Abram and I were walking through. Well, then Nesbo lied. Yeah. Well, I, he, maybe he thought it was because as we were walking through this part. Uh, Abram said, this is a really rough part of town. This is kind of where the, you know, the bad stuff happened. I'm looking around. It's like, mm, it's like every other part of Oslo. <laughs> yeah. Very, it's a, it's a very nice place actually. All right. Let's get back to the beer. Yeah. Let's get back to the beer. So, uh, the, I wanted to mention a little bit, I didn't get to see too many of the breweries there, but I did, uh, I saw three breweries, two in Voss and one in, uh, uh, Oslo that all work with Vikings because I was curious about that. You know, I mean, I, I like smoothies hours as much as the next man, but you know, when you go, <laughs> don't out me. Man. <laughs> I got to keep my, cool. he likes smoothies hours slightly less than the next man. <laughs> I had to try to keep my cool. My credibility. I did, I did, with kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like milkshake IPAs actually. Oh, if, if, I, if given the choice, I would okay. go for a milkshake IPA and a heartbeat over a smoothie sour. Gave us that context, yeah. yeah. Uh, but these are not Norwegian expressions. They're not that interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, like yeah. when I go to Norway, I don't I don't need to make another IPA that I can get in Portland. Yeah. Um, so I was really curious about this whole tradition with the Kwaik East um, and, and wondering like, you know, we've had – We've had traditional brewing, then you had the lager brewing, kind of obliterated everything traditional, and now you have craft brewing, which opens the possibility for, for something interesting happening. Mm -hmm. And it's especially interesting given that here in the United States, you know, we have, everything's about quite keys. Yeah, we, we know all about that. So I was curious to see if people were making beer with that yeast. And there's this brewery in, in uh, Oslo called Eikenteed that I really was curious about. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, I went and visited Almond. Uh, Almond and Bjorn are the two uh, uh, founders of that place, which sounds perfectly of course, Norwegian. Yes. Yeah, really. <laughs> and you know, Almond was one of these guys that I had to look up to see, which is kind of rare. Big, tall Norwegian guy with a handlebar mustache. Uh, seemed very Norwegian. And he is he he want he was so inspired by the traditional brewing that he is doing raw ale, which is a tradition in Hornendal, not Vaz, where you don't boil the wort. So you just mash the beer, uh, and you may prepare a small amount of uh, hop tea that you uh -huh. pour into the mash just to kind of um, sanitize it. But um, it's such a small amount that he actually bottles their beer in clear bottles. It's not enough hops in it even to uh, be light struck. Yeah. yeah. So he he has his old equipment, um, old old uh, dairy equipment, and he mashes in. Uh, and uh, does a little, he actually uses the word rather than water for the hop tea, uh -huh. uh, cools it, pitches the quite yeast. And he, he found uh, a version of quite yeast that had some bacteria in it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was from Hornendal. I'm not sure. I can't remember. And it was the first person I talked to 
So um, once I went to Voss and started learning more about the quiet keys, I, I learned that context, which I didn't have when I talked to him. Right. Um, but uh, then he puts it into wood and that, that tarp character will emerge. Uh, and he tends to infuse the beers with, with fruit and other things. Mm-hmm. And he'll let them age for quite a while uh, until, you know, they're kind of where he wants them to be. And then he bottles them up and sells them. And it's a very unusual style of beer uh, for, you know, for so many different ways. But it's totally Norwegian. He right. uses all Norwegian malts. Um, the There's not a lot of Norwegian hops, but he's hoping those will come online so he can use all Norwegian ingredients. So that's a really cool kind of thing. Yeah. And his beers were um, really unusual. Uh, and I think they all had a character and quality that we, we kind of tracked back. And I think it had to do with the uh, the fact that it wasn't boiled. Yeah. He said, you know, barley is basically a sprout. Like the way when you make a malt, it's you've, you've sprouted it. Yeah. And there's a green quality. Yeah. And he his, his idea is that that green quality is communicated into the beer if you don't boil it um, in a way that it's not if you do boil it. And um, there certainly was an interesting herbal kind of quality in there uh, that I that I found in all his beers. So it was it was really interesting beer, and I'll write a blog post about that at some point. It's very cool. Then in Voss, there were a couple of breweries that uh, were regular craft breweries, make regular craft beer, but uh, they also worked with Kleikis and uh, made some traditional beer or, and, and also some beer that wasn't traditional, but used this local quiet yeast. And the, the big difference in, in Norway versus what we get in, in the West, mm-hmm. uh, North, the, uh, it's also the West, the, uh, North America is the traditional quiet yeast have multiple, multiple yeast strains in them. Right. And, um, when they're selected at the lab, they'll select the dominant strain. So there'll be single, single strains. Mm-hmm. here in the United States. So when you use a quiet strain in the United States, it's almost always single strain. Right. Uh, all three of these breweries use these multi-strain quiet yeast. So they, they get, you know, more lush kind of character. They have greater capacity depending on how you ferment them and whatever you do. Right. Um, which means that in the, in the, in the brew house, if you're in a commercial brewery, you can really get, uh, you know, depending on how you want to ferment and what kind of beer you're making, you can you can do. They're a little bit more versatile than the regular quite strain. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the breweries made a totally traditional Voss uh, farmhouse ale, and it was really really nice. Uh, it was you know it was clean to the extent um, a quite yeast can be, uh, but you know it was made on a commercial system and so it was really clear and uh beautiful beer really nice well-made beer um i i wish i i wish i could get more of that here so people could actually taste sort of like what it would be like i'm i'm a little bit concerned that these farmhouse beers are not going to travel very well right uh, just because they're they're home basically yeah <laughs> the other brewery uh uses a different strain there's two that are common in boss uh and they both they both use different the different strains, and he, he works more with. Um, he also does a fairly traditional beer, but he also does other beers. Uh, working with the Squike strain, um, including one that I I think my favorite I had there was a Pilsner, yeah. um, and we had I actually had that the first night I was in town at a pub, um, and it tasted like a lager, but it had all kind of rustic character in it. So it was like a, especially Franconian or I don't know, very rustic 
beer. And um, I, I tasted in it the potential to bootstrap quite yeast into a commercial context in a way that would be, uh, you know, palatable for the modern drinker. And right. I, I'm, I'm really hoping those two breweries do well in Voss and, and can get people outside of within Norway, but outside of Voss excited about this quite strain and kind of do some promotion so that people will be aware of their, their native strain. So that's, I'm excited about that. I hope, uh, hope that happens yeah yeah i mean it's it's crazy to think that <laughs> people in oslo don't understand this tradition and i i suppose it just takes yeah takes a few successful craft brewers to really yeah get the word out and and i think you know the first thing you're in place there national tradition people are always more excited about the exotic stuff well done elsewhere like america went through that tradition where we were really fascinated with British ales until we found our own and uh, yeah. uh, you know, I would expect Norway to do the same thing and come hopefully come back to their own tradition. Yeah. I mean, uh, one reading of the history of U S craft brewing is that, you know, you go onto the tradition that's closest, most known to you, but then you start realizing what we have here in our own country. And what we had was a lot of these amazing hops. And then we started just sort of riffing off the IPA tradition and creating our own. So hopefully, I mean, that's what, that's always my favorite part of uh, traveling somewhere and tasting local beer as I'm hoping to find some kind of local expression. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if I don't find that, then I'm really disappointed. Right. So totally. <laughs> like, we have all this interesting stuff going on, you know, try to find a way to, to, to translate that into beer. But of course, market realities are also there. So people are, people know what an IPA tastes like now and that's what they want. So, yeah. So I have, I have one little beeronomics thing for you, okay. like sort of public policy slash beeronomics, which I found fascinating. Uh, and I thought you might too. So I mentioned this, uh, this wine monopoly and high tax thing. Right. And um, very clearly and explicitly, the wine monopoly wants to limit product, uh, consumption. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> the, uh, one of the brewers, I can't remember. And the tax and the taxing scheme too. Exactly. They're, 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 they're both, they're both designed to limit consumption. And one of the brewers said that they, the wine monopoly gave this big presentation to all their members. Mm -hmm. And they, there were many slides talking about how, uh, consumption in, in Norway is super low and they're really proud of that and happy. And isn't it great that no one's buying any beer and all the beer, all the maybe this is not the greatest, uh, selling point to us wrong audience. Um, but what was, what's fascinating to me is what I observed in the marketplace, uh, <laughs> those unintended consequences is because beer was super expensive. People were buying crazy rocket fuel, right? You're going to have one beer and it's going to last. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to hit. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's what happens when you do, when you create incentives like that. And yeah. I really thought of you as I would go to the pub and it's like, Jesus, every beer here is like eight or 9% or higher. It's right. crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, unintended consequences. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I mean, um, I don't know if this is true or not because, you know, God knows what collects in the dark recesses of my brain, but I always think of the Finns as like being heavy drinkers, mm. and uh, like that's like a big known sort of problem. And so I, uh, um, and and I also associate that with like long dark winter nights, <laughs> right. 
what else are we going to do but sit around and drink inside? Uh, so yeah, so maybe that's part of the sort of the national psyche is that we have to avoid this propensity to sit on the long dark winter nights. Yeah. But uh, but my take that we talked about in the past is that I like low alcohol beers because then I can then I can sit you know and spend two or three hours and I'm not getting all drunk. Uh, and enjoying a few beers and conversation and all that. So it seems like, yeah, you've got sort of a perverse incentive there that's causing the opposite to happen. That's right. And you and you you have exactly what you have. The inverse of what you're talking about, too, is there, the pub scene there is just a lot different than it would be in a place like Germany or, or uh, Britain where the beer is a lot cheaper. Right. People, there's not nearly as many pubs and people don't go in there and sit there and drink for all afternoon. Yeah. Uh, because they're going in there and drinking rocket fuel and then they're out. And um, so it's just a very, uh, I mean, I would love to pose some wine monopoly. Did you, how do you feel about the fact that everybody drinks 10% beers? Like, was that your, what was that your goal? And how, what, what would you like to do about that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, you know, liquor laws are super weird no matter wherever, where you go. So that's, that's just what happens in Oslo yep. or in Norway because yeah. they did that weird thing. Cool. So, well, thank you for that uh, little tour of Norwegian beer and brewing. Indeed. Look forward to next week's special segment on Voss in particular in the farmhouse tradition. Yeah, I got an interview with a uh, with the brewer I, I spent 12 and a half hours with. So, uh, nice. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. And by the way, on the social media, you can see some pictures from, from your trip, right? Indeed. Uh, social media and on the blog. I actually posted a... Including uh, a super cool like Viking boat thing you drink from. Chinga. But all that next week. Next week. Same, same place, same channel. Same time, same channel, whatever the Batman thing was. Indeed. Same bat time, same bat channel. All right. So we should we should now pivot to the mailbag. Uh-huh. The remaining time that we have. Yep. And uh, we have been endowed uh, with two uh, mailbag entries. The first from Scott DeLone from Westchester, Pennsylvania, which I know to be Philadelphia suburb. Um, maybe they don't like to call themselves suburb. But anyway... Uh, been a bit since I emailed into the mail blog. Uh, two quick things for today. One, love the Beeronomics pod the other day. Of course, it's Beeronomics. Why wouldn't you love it? The other stuff is just just like filler until we can get a good Beeronomics topic. Uh, and, and parentheses, always feel the need to mention it when you do one. I really do enjoy them. Yeah, I know, I know you, Jeff, that you put this in there for me, so thank you, because you, I never believe it. Exactly. That anyone cares about yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because I project the, the faces of my students when I'm going on and on about economics and they're falling asleep. No, they, uh, they, two, I was browsing around and came across a beer style that I'd never heard of. Uh, Lichtenheimer. Mm-hmm. Lichtenheimer. Is that good? Of course, I could just Google it, but I love to hear your tale slash explanation of the style that's right come to the expert jeff allworth take it away yeah so uh it's an old german north german style and it's one of these styles of beer so in uh what is now north germany was uh it was it's not Liechtenstein. I think it, I think Lichtenhain might be actually the name of the town, but it's uh, but it's in Germany. Yeah, Liechtenstein is own little place. Yeah, um, in that in that northern area, which was totally distinct from Bavaria, where they're doing loggers, yes, yes. uh, it was it was like it was like Belgium. They just did crazy stuff up there, and this is one of the styles of beer that is related to uh, uh, kind of there's you've got Grotzer uh, or Gerditsky, uh You've got Berliner Weisse, 
goes uh, Lichtenhainer. So these are these are beers that may be smoked or acidic or both. Right. And um, Lichtenhainer went extinct. Uh, and it has a revival, but it, it's one of those revivals that's kind of like a nobody really knows exactly what it's supposed to be. Well, they, I think they know what it's supposed to be, but it's not. Um, it's sort of a floater style. It hasn't really made. And the, there's a reason why Scott is only kind of encountering it now. It's yeah. like it hasn't. It doesn't have a champion. Um, ah, you know, Goza uh, is a the style of Leipzig, and there are two breweries that did revivals. Berliner Weisse, of course, is you know a famous Berlin uh, style, and there are breweries in Berlin that are trying to revive it. Yeah. Lichtenhainer, and then even in Grodzisk, in what is now Poland, mm-hmm. uh, there's breweries that are trying to revive it. This is one of those styles that doesn't really have a champion. That's not really anchored to place. Ah, I see. So um, it's a cool style, and I always, uh, I, you know, I tend well, how, to, so how would you describe it? It's I like think it's smoky, it's, smoky it's a, sour. I think it's smoky sour, as I recall. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, smoky, <laughs> it's a low alcohol beer, wheat beer. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's in the beer bottle. You can look it up. Oh, it is. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Wow. Beer Bible just has everything. It has everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's soon as Portuguese. (laughs) Exactly. Hopefully. (laughs) Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Hey, if it becomes out in Portuguese, I'm buying it for all my Brazilian friends. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. You'll have have like six sales in the bag, baby. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's a good start. I saw this one come through. This actually was a comment on SoundCloud, which I don't think we've ever gotten before, which is kind of cool. No, what's amazing is you actually saw it. I I weirdly got an email. All right, there's no oh, okay. chance I would have not seen it. Okay, good. So it comes from Ignatius Riley, who I happen to know is one of my friends, uh, but because he posted the name uh, Ignatius Riley, I will not out him. You think you think he'd know how to contact you more directly? I do, but um, I, I, I sent an email back and I said, thank you, Ignatius, in parentheses, or in uh, quotes, and he, he chortled that. He writes, I discovered your podcast recently and listened to many episodes during a long drive. Great material. In your episode on brown ales, you were saying that building malt character was an art that had largely not been discovered by American brewers. I was under the impression that head brewers in the U.S. would travel to the old country to study under brewers in Germany and England, amongst others, before opening brew pubs back home in the States. Wouldn't this art of building mall character be taught and learned from the master brewers overseas? Uh, and who do you recommend for their expertise in building mall character in their beers? So you would think so, Ignatius, uh, but that's not how it happened. Um, those styles definitely are are known for their malt. And so um, base malts in Germany, Czech Republic, and the UK are really famous and, and have a, you know, this long tradition, everybody knows the malting varieties uh, that the, the beers are made out of, and then the specialty malts, the brewers there are really in tune with those, and the beers really reflect them. For the most part, Americans did not go to Europe uh, and still don't go to Europe. Yeah. And that's the big, the big, the big, <laughs> you, you know this. Beer. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, I think that answers the second part of the question. It's those brewers that did, right, and that have been exposed particularly not just like a you know weekend trip, but have actually been brewing in those countries that come here and then really understand malt. For example, the other day when we did our little uh, cask tour of Portland, the one, the big winner for us was the one that was brewed by the Englishman. Right. Um, oh, wait, it's... Oh, wait, it's Milner's, Milner's Mild, right? Ooh. That really created an impression in you because you have a terrible memory. Oh, wow, well, thanks, that's Jeff. Uh, like... that's, that's so English, the backhanded compliment. Thank you. <laughs> I remember it because it's named 
after James Milner, ah. well-known uh, footballer. There you go. I assume it's named after him, but anyway, it's got his name, so that's how well, it sticks whole, in my mind. <laughs> their, their whole thing is, is, is football and beer, so I'm yeah. sure you're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it's exactly those people who've had a long exposure yeah. and who really sort of have understood it at a deeper level. And I, and I include myself at the same uh, the same way, that it takes a while with those beers to really start just appreciating, I think, the malt character and how different it expresses itself, differently it expresses itself. And, um, I think that's true with brewers. It's just like when you're when you're in land of hops and wonderful hops, then you just end up focused on hops more uh, than the malts themselves. The malts are just the base that you know the the tabula rasa that you throw your hops on top of and make your art. Yeah, so, totally. So yeah, so that's uh, that's what I would say. I'd say those people who've, who've been exposed, you know, the Alan locally, the Alan Taylors, and I forget the name of the Way Days guy, but. Um, yeah, and our friend Sean Burke, who's at Foreland, he was also trained in uh, Germany, and there's a few others mm -hmm. yeah. who, who've, who've, and you don't necessarily have to have been trained there, but um, uh, to have spent some time in Europe and tasted the beers and gotten in touch with the base malts and seeing how, how it's done in, in, in Europe, I think that really changes brewers. And um, Portland, of course, has greater you know, people who are more educated yeah. uh, than other places. So we have more brewers who have, have traveled and, and know all that stuff. Yeah. But, um, and it's the same old chicken and the horse thing. So customers in the United States have been trained to focus on hops and that's what they're looking for. And so yep. it takes a while to educate the customer itself. Totally. That's why we did brown ales. That's why we did their cask thing. We are the champion. baby. And weirdly that brown ale uh, pod remains one of our most listened to ever, which totally blows my mind. Seriously? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, people love that pod. That episode. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we got to do more obscure styles. I don't even know how to think about that. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we've uh, we've blown past our time, so we should sign off. A few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you, Ignatius and Scott, for your comments. Um, others, please, and Ignatius Scott, send again your questions or comments to Jeff at beerbonnetblog.com or on Twitter at, and Instagram at beerbonnetblog. Oh, very good. You've combined the two. I didn't know if nice you noticed that. Good job. On Twitter and on Instagram, same handle at beerbonnetblog because <laughs> we're that good. Yes, we're that stuff. good. Yeah. Jeff blogs the Beervana blog and tweets at Beervana. Patrick tweets at Beeronomics, kind of. I think I might have tweeted that thing about prices, but I had it in my mind. I'm not sure I actually followed through. Uh, okay. Cheers, Jeff. I still have. Oh, you're gone. You're gone. Uh, uh, there's a tiny bit. Right. Enough there. Yeah, there's enough to cheers. Yeah. So this is the Juice Junior from uh, Great Notion Brewing. So cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Cheers.